locum tenens, Latin for placeholder. Find out why and why not a physician would want to be a placeholder. Welcome to the exciting world of locums. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Dr. Andrew Wilner, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here. So to introduce you, Dr. Andrew Wilner is a board-certified internist, neurologist, epilepsy specialist, and locum tenens expert because in 1982, he discovered locum tenens and that it was the perfect solution to achieving the work-life balance as a physician and writer, or at least the balance that he was looking for at the time. And he did that inpatient, outpatient, academic, community. He's also a prolific medical journalist and the author of several books, one of which is about locum tenens. So that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Currently, he's an associate professor of neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, where he cares for patients, teaches, still writes, and lives with his wife and son. Dr. Wilner, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for that kind and very succinct and accurate introduction. (laughs) You got it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. We could talk about whatever you want. So locums, I've never done it myself. What is locum tenens? Ah, yeah. You know, that's the funny thing. And everybody who does locums will tell the same story is that, you know, you're sitting on the plane. Oh, where are you going to? It's like, well, I'm going to Minneapolis because I got a locum tenens assignment. So they go, what? (laughs) Nobody knows what locum tenens is, except, you know, the people that do it. Locums is a Latin for place and tenens is like tenacity, something holding on. So you're a placeholder. You are like a substitute teacher coming to a clinic or a hospital to cover basically for somebody who's out maybe on maternity leave or extended vacation or the hospital's growing and they need somebody or they just lost somebody who went to work across the street and they got to fill that slot. And as you know, recruiting a full-time physician or partner, it could take a year right? By the time they sign all the contracts and get credentialed by all the insurance companies. So a locums guy can jump in there and can get a temporary license, get expedited credentials and start working while they're waiting. So the patients get seen and the institution or the clinic doesn't lose so much money where nothing is happening. So locum tenens, it's just like traveling nurse, right? That's been around for a long time. And, you know, locum tenens, it got formalized maybe 30 years ago as like a thing. But, you know, doctors have been filling in and traveling, you know, since Hippocrates used to travel around different communities and do stuff. So it's not really a new thing, but it's recently formalized. With travel nursing, though, you don't have the job security, right? Same thing with locums but they tend to make significantly more money. Is that the same for locums with physicians? Probably. Well, compensation is a whole topic. In fact, I just made some slides. I would say your hourly rate is higher, but as a 1099 employee, as a temporary employee, you don't get the benefit. So depending on what your benefit package is, you might earn more actually as a full-time, depending on how you value those benefits. But yes, your cash salary per hour, for example, is usually higher. 
because you don't get benefits. So if you want those benefits like vacation time or health insurance, you're the one. When I worked locums full-time, I was working locums full-time before I came to Regional One Health, where I am now in Memphis, I had to pay my own health insurance. I had to go find it and buy it for my wife and myself. And at that time, it was about $1,500, $2,000 a month you know, for a classy health insurance. That came out of my pocket. Now, I did qualify for an HSA. You know, That's something that you can do, and that saved a little money that way. But that's a big expense for someone who is self-employed. So as a locum tenants physician, you're, if you work full-time locums, you're self-employed. Now, some physicians will just do locums during their vacation time, right? It'll go up to Alaska for a few weeks during their vacation, make some extra money, come back to their W-2, their normal employed job. So you can do it either way, but I think it's growing as a full-time endeavor. I did it for over 10 years full-time because now what you point out is true. Because it's a succession of temporary assignments, there's no job security at all. In other words, you do your six months in Minnesota or South Dakota, where I work, and you're done. So when it's the last you know, two months, you start hunting around for your next assignment. Or in my case, I used to take several months and go to Southeast Asia. I'm a scuba diver, and I write, and I did medical mission work. So I would do all of those things for several months until I ran out of money, and then I would come back for a new assignment. And that worked very well. And right now there's a huge demand for locums. So the job security thing doesn't really come into play. Anybody who wants to work, now you have to be a little flexible. There may not be work, you know, in San Francisco when you want to go to San Francisco, you know, you might have to go to, you know, Reno, Nevada or somewhere, you know, maybe not quite the same. But there are many jobs in all specialties really that are available. You know, you've heard of the doctor shortage, right? And locums is really growing because of the need. And also, it's just so cumbersome for institutions to acquire new doctors. And because of the, there's also a new work ethic, right? It used to be, you know, when I was a kid and I looked up to my dad's friends who were physicians, they were established. You know, they lived in the community, they owned their own office. They usually owned the building, you know, and kind of leased it to themselves. They were members of the Chamber of Con- You know, they did all that community stuff because they were part of the community. Well, now with more than 50% of physicians being employees, all of a sudden you have mobility. And we don't have that sense of ownership. Right. There's no ownership. Yeah. And there's no point really investing in the community because the community isn't investing in you. Yeah. So all of a so sudden, you look out you for number one. pick yeah. up and go. So if you're going to pick up and go, why have a contract at all? You know, why not work where you want to work and travel? And the other value of locums, and it was for me, is it helps you if you're a starting out physician, find your niche. In my case, I was actually looking for a niche seven years ago. I was working locums. Everything was great, but we were going to have a baby and I wanted to settle down a little bit and not fly all over the place. So I started looking for a permanent job. I looked for two years and I was able to look for two years because I had the security of locums. Kaiser had a great job. It wasn't perfect, so I didn't take it. Yeah. There was another great job in Portland. It wasn't perfect, so I didn't take it. 
So I was able to look, and then I found this job that I have now where I get to teach and take care of indigent patients, which I enjoy. And it was a good bet. And work seven on, seven off, which is what I was doing in locums. And so it allowed me to kind of had space and time and experiences in my locums. I did academic locums. I didn't even know that existed, but I was sort of a fill-in professor at two institutions, three actually, before I took this permanent job. So it's a nice way to test the water. There were two things that you mentioned that I want to explore. One, I just want to comment on myself. I think it's pretty awesome that you were living in a high cost of living country, working a locum's position for a few months, a year, and then going to a low cost of living country and using that money to bum around and scuba dive for extended periods of time because the dollar was worth so much more. So I think that sounds like quite an adventure and just an amazing way to spend those years when you're just out of residency, if you have that flexibility in your schedule, especially if it's just you that you have to look out for. So I think that sounds, you know, it sounds amazing. And I'm jealous that you did that. The other thing that I want to explore a little more is you'd mentioned that you're an employee, you're employed because, you know, they're paying your salary, but you're not an employee. And so you are like a a contractor at that point, which means you're self-employed. And we we talked about this on a couple of episodes ago. For the listeners, check out the episode with Dave Denniston, where we talk about the the tax advantages, because there is, yes, you have to pay your own health insurance. However, there are a ton of tax advantages to being self-employed. So you can deduct a ton of stuff that you can't deduct when you're a W-2 employee. So it, that sounds like a big advantage of, of doing locums, if that is your main source of income. Yes. In fact, I'm speaking to you from my home office, which is tax deductible because I'm self-employed as a locums physician part-time and also some other income generating kind of adventures. And so that's a big one is that a lot of your sort of customary expenses like a computer, you know, stuff like that become tax deductible because they're legitimate work expenses if you're self-employed. And what you're referring to is you can put much more money, assuming you earn it, in a 401k, in what's called a self-employed 401k, a self-directed 401k. And uh, you know that requires some tax planning. So I'll put in a plug for my channel, The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner, because I have two episodes with accountants where we talk about that. So you And you need a CPA to help you optimize that. But yes. Yeah. Don't try and do it your own on QuickBooks. (laughs) Get a professional. It's not that hard. But if you're, you know, I mean, putting a central line isn't that hard either, but you don't want to learn that from YouTube. So, you know, there, get some help. But yes, some people with locums will do better. In fact, I think I did better one year as a locums physician than I had ever done as a full-time physician, even balancing out all the things I had to pay myself. So uh, it is a way to earn more potentially. Can they pull out, pull the rug out from under you? So let's say you have like a locum, like you're, you've got this two month lead, like you said, two months before I know my locum's position is ending. I'm looking for my next one. I've got it secured. I found an apartment. My, my flight is booked. My bags are packed. You know, what's the lead time that they can give you before they can say, you know what, 
actually, we found someone full-time. We don't need you anymore. 30 days. 30 days. Okay. Okay. So that's enough time to, you got to make sure that you've got enough money in the bank and a cushion yes. to have yes. that happen to you. Yeah. It's happened to me twice. Twice. All set to go. And literally on the 30 day mark, I got an email. Oh, they don't need you. No explanation, no excuses. It's like too bad for you. So I always recommend you're going to do locums. You have to have six months of money in the bank so you don't stress because it might take you a month or two or three to find you know, depending on how picky you are, yeah. find the job that you that you want. But that happens regularly. So you have to be backup plan. In my case, you know, I can stay at home and write for a month and I'm happy. It's right, you know, it's kind of a break, so it's okay. But again, you know, make sure the mortgage money is there. Let's say the specificity of the position isn't suited to you, meaning like they're looking for an ophthalmologist who does general ophthalmology, but you've been doing cornea for the last 10 years. Or like you, you you'd focus mostly on epilepsy, but they're looking for a general neurologist. So you're going to end up seeing things that you haven't seen in a while. And for the surgical specialist, you might be seeing surgical things that you haven't performed since residency. How do you navigate this? Because there are some people out there that are so, so specialized that they just might not have the opportunity, but only for a few positions. No, you're absolutely right. And the people that are recruiting you for locums are not physicians. They're basically, they're like real estate agents. They're matchmakers and they don't really have a great grasp of what you do. And one of the things that happens with locums, when you go, you know, they don't advertise this, but the reason they need you is because they really need you. And that's either because somebody left or they're growing really fast or it's a toxic place to work and nobody stays. How do you find that out? Actually, before, before I forget to ask you, how do you find that out? Well, if you can, you get, you know, you ask your agency, if you're working with an agency to, you know, get you the name of the last doctor that worked there and chat. And I always recommend that. It's not always possible, but I always assume that I'm going into a toxic environment with the locums. That's kind of the plan. And if it's not, that's great. But it's going to be, but you don't care because all you have to do is show up and see the patients and go home. Yeah. You're on no committees, you know, you just kind of let it, you got to have, what is that about the duck and the water uh, down yeah, his let back? Yeah, roll then, off your back. Yeah. Yes. You just, you just do your medical job. You know, patients are patients and if they don't have the equipment you need, so I'm sorry, sir, you know, come back when they get it fixed, you know, and you do your best in that scenario. So you have to have... You know, the uh, sort of the mantra of why people do locums regarding the schedule that we're just talking about is flexibility, flexibility, you know, flexibility. You work when you want to work. But also locums physicians have to be flexible because you're going to be in an environment that's going to require you to adapt to new people, a new facility. And the other thing is you may be by yourself. I mean, I've been to places I'm the only neurologist. So you have to assume there's no backup. So if you're a cornea guy and you don't really know how to do this other stuff, don't go. I mean, you have to kind of give do some self-examination and say, can I really do this job? Is this something I can do? You know, now there may well be a cornea, you know, the cornea guy may have had a heart attack, you know, in the Bronx and they need somebody tomorrow. So it, it could happen. But, you know, the more super specialized you are, I would say the harder it's going to be. If you're a pulmonologist, you know, you can work in any ICU, you know, that's great. But if all you've been doing is outpatient work, you know, for the last 30 years, I wouldn't, you know, jump into the COVID unit. So 
Yeah, you're the one that has to sort of decide. You'll end up trying to put your patients on halothane to try and sedate them. (laughs) So yeah, you have to be, it's not for somebody who is not flexible and not self-confident because they expect you to, you know, to take off from day one. Yeah. And also ask what the EMR is that they use. And if you don't know how to use it, you tell them, I am not starting on day one. I need two days for somebody to teach me the EMR and you're going to pay me. And they will. Don't just show up. Yeah. You've got leverage there. You've got leverage there. Use it. So that's really good. That's really good advice. Has telemedicine or the rather the wider acceptance of telemedicine since the pandemic changed the locum's landscape at all? I think it's helped out the hospitals, you know, there's I that small hospitals example that don't have a neurologist. They don't know what to do. And now if they have telemedicine, they can kind of fake it and they can say they have neurology coverage. So I, I think in some cases it's probably diminished the need, but if you talk to any staffing agency, the need is like way up there. I get three calls a day, literally, from staffing agencies that need to place me somewhere. Have you had any like wild locums experiences? Like any stories worth telling that won't threaten the privacy of the patients you treated? No, you know, when you work as a locums, it's just like, you know, any other hospital, you're just, you know, doing your job. And I think the, one of the experiences I had though, that was kind of interesting is I hadn't worked for a while and I got a job as a locums directly. There was a buddy, a friend of mine, you know, a colleague, we were both giving a lecture, you know, at some national meeting, we're sitting next to each other waiting for the last lecture, you know, to get done. He said, Andy, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'll do this and that. He said, could you come and help us out? You know, we're short. Because he knew I was kind of doing this sort of thing. So I said, sure. And so I went there and I hadn't worked for a while. So I really went with a, a positive attitude. Like this was the greatest thing that ever happened to me that I got this locum's position. You know, so I showed up with a smile on my face. I was nice to everybody. I I was exhausted at the end of the day just from, you know, being nice to everybody all day. (laughs) But at the end of this thing, they gave me a card. Oh, Dr. Willer, thank you so much for your enthusiasm. And, you know, I got like a little thank you note. People really appreciated that. So it was kind of a nice thing to learn that, you know, you are bringing a lot of energy to the place that needs you. You know, as a locum's physician, and a lot of locum's physicians will tell you this, they enjoy being appreciated. Because they didn't have anybody. Because you're actually needed. You're not one of 11 otolaryngologists in your department. You are the only otolaryngologist in your department. And, you, and oh, thank goodness you're here. Yeah, you're getting that. And the other doctors, rather than seeing you as competition, if, the, if say there, I had joined actually several other guys in their group, it's like, oh, great. One more guy to take call, read the EEGs, who's not a threat because they know you're leaving. So, you know, the other guys and the staff all welcome you and all you have to do is show up, do your work, you know, write your note, go home. You don't have to worry about the new this and the new that and the recruitment and they're going to change this. And, you know, all the things that I do now as a division director responsibilities, you don't have those. No, And also nobody's interested in what you have to say because you're temporary. You know, you're going to go. Like the substitute teacher. Right? Yeah, right. I mean, who cares what you think? So there's a lot of freedom 
to just do your job. And a lot of locums doctors will tell you that. I just love practicing medicine, you know, and all the other stuff kind of goes away. And, you know, if you work with an agency or, you know, most places now, you just get a direct deposit in your, you know, paycheck. I did an ad a little while ago for a locums agency, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to give them the free press, but hey, if they want to sponsor the podcast again, absolutely. And one of the things that I said when I was formulating the monologue or whatever was that hedonic adaptation, right? Like we, we get used to everything and you get used to every job, but with locums, since you're hopping from different, with different people, different EMRs, different locations, everything is new every time you start it. And so you don't have that hedonic adaptation to the job because in time slows down when this happens because you have to pay attention. It's not like when you're driving to work on the same route over and you arrive at work and you're like, man, I don't remember even driving. I just arrived here, right? You just shut off your brain. Well, the opposite is happening when you're in a new place with new people in a new EMR and you're, it slows down time, which you have a kid. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Well, then how do we slow down? Well, this is a way to do it and maybe, you know, enjoy things a little more. I mean, clearly you're a big fan of it here, but I think the hedonic adaptation of, or the lack thereof, because you're putting yourself in new places and new positions each time helps you to keep that freshness to medicine. And at the same time, you're the last time you had to do that, you were either a medical student or a resident and that those each have their terrible for their own reasons when you enter a new place. But now you're the attending. And so it's a very different phenomenon. Yes. I, well, I'll tell you what story. I, I was working at, at an academic institution. It was my first day. So I show up and there was some confusion, you know, meet at me at the blue door. You know, I don't know the place. It's a giant hospital with 17, you know, entries. And I could not find the lady. So I finally found her like 8.30 instead of 8. And then she takes me around to get my badge, you know, and fill out forms. And in the meantime, I, I'm thinking I have to make rounds, right? And the day is just going on and on. And I'm, finally, it's like noon. And I said, you know, I got to get going here. There's patience there, right? And so they finally bring me up to the ward. I think I'm going to be here till midnight, you know, seeing all the patients. I'm used to doing everything myself. And then I found out I had a team and they had seen everybody already. And all I had to do was like co-sign their notes. It's like, this is great. Oh, it was like advanced practice providers? No, they were residents. Oh. I didn't know I had any residents. And it turns <laughs> out I had like a half a dozen residents. They were looking for things to do. Everything was done. It's like, well, we can just chat about the patients. Yeah. <laughs> this oh, this is, is awesome. We can just talk and learn and teach. It's great. I was like, whoa, what a shock. Because my previous job, I it was a 300-bed hospital. I was the neuro hospitalist. I actually started the program. I did every other week and I had no nurse practitioner, no student, no no helper. There was no EMR. I had to run around to the bed to find the vital signs, you know, write my note. I mean, I got home at 10 o'clock every night and, you know, fielded calls. They did have telestroke actually. So that, that helped a little bit, but it was a nightmare. So that's what I thought this was going to be. And then it turned out I had this, you know, I had two medical students and two residents and a senior How did resident. did you not know that beforehand? Because they don't tell you. That's so weird. That's so weird. That would be like the first line if you're trying to sell something. It's like leather bucket seats. <laughs> right. It was definitely leather. I went back there again. Two years later, they called me. Oh, yeah. So it's an interesting story. So while I was there, I thought, you know, I would take this job as a permanent job. This is okay. So I, I said that to them because I was locums there, obviously recruiting. 
And it went back and forth. And then it turned out that the university, some bigwig, had already had somebody in their sights. They said, Dr. Well, we, we pretty much, but you could have an outpatient job. I said, no, I don't want the outpatient job. I want the neurohospitalist job. I said, well, sorry. Two years later, they called me, Dr. Miller, would you mind coming back and doing the neurohospitalist job? I said, what happened? I said, the guy that they hired instead of me didn't work out. <laughs> so now they needed me again. It's like, you know, I didn't say it, but like, if you had hired me, you know, you wouldn't have had to go through. I mean, it cost him a fortune, right? To bring the guy on board and everything. And then he goes. So, so I had fun the second time. too. Speaking of the onboarding, that's one more thing I want to touch upon before we close. And that is, like when I joined my practice, they, I joined, you know, I signed everything before I even finished residency. You know, I interviewed and I knew this is where I was going. It's still, I'm still in the same practice. And they were like, fill out all these forms. And I'm like, no, I'm a resident. I'm going to wait until I'm done. And then I'm going to fill out all these forms. They're like, you got to fill out the forms. No, I'm going to wait. I didn't say no. I just like dragged my feet and dragged my feet. I was busy. And then suddenly I was going to be not busy, you know? So I, I was going to have about to have plenty of time on my hands. And then I took months to get credentialed, months to get on the insurance plans, months and months. So much so that I was in the office twiddling my thumbs because I couldn't see patients because I was on so few plans. So how are the locums companies ex able to expedite that? I don't make that like getting your state license is so challenged. Oh, yeah. You know, that is actually a great question. And I think the way they do it, you do have to get credentialed as, you, first of all, you need a license yeah, in that state. Yeah, you need a state license. And some states have a fast track to get a locum's license. And then there's the new, you know, interstate compact thing that speeds things up a little. But you must have a license in that state. And if it's a hospital, you have to be credentialed at that hospital. And I actually was ready to start September 1, and the hospital that I was going to work at could not get me credentialed in time because they were so slow. And I didn't get to start till October 1, even though they had no one. I mean, they couldn't get out of their own way to do their own credentialing. So you do have to be credentialed by the hospital. But and then you have to be credentialed by the various insurance companies. Yeah. So I think there's a code that they, what they do is they assign, kind of like an NP, where they assign you as a locums to somebody who's already there. Got it. They're your supervisor or something. I think they bill through that. And I think they can do that for a certain amount of time. I'm not certain, but that's, I think, I think that's what they do. Because otherwise, you're right, it takes months and months to go through all of this uh, credentialing. You can't just get uh, started. Because that has never been a delay. In other words, we've been delayed because for the state license, we've been delayed for a hospital credit, but I've never been delayed for all the insurance companies. So I think that's the answer there. So for those who want to take a deeper dive, you have a book, a whole book on I locum. Do. So tell us about the book. I have a whole book. I don't know if you could see it there. Well, this is primarily a podcast, so I'll read it. It says, The Locum Life, The Physician's Guide, appropriately, to locum tenants. Yeah. So, I don't know. It dawned on me one day that when you talk about locums, it's kind of a little mysterious. And uh, I've been doing it for years and years and years. And I've thought through all of these kind of questions. What about malpractice? You know, What about travel expenses? What about 401k, licensing, credentialing? And I also put in the book, I interviewed 15 other locums doctors 
What was your experience, your best experience? Your, would you advise a young graduate to do it? Some said, yes, it's a great way to so test the water. Some said, no, they're not experienced enough to be out on their own. So, you know, there are different views besides mine. But if you are interested in locums, I would, you know, with all modesty, I would highly recommend <laughs> reading the book first. I also have a website, andrewwilner.com, and you can contact me and I'm happy to talk to you for 15 minutes for free to help out. I do this every now and then. People call me, you know, I have this locums question. I'm thinking of doing this, but I really need somebody to talk to. Happy to schedule a call, talk to you. It doesn't cost anything. It's always interesting for me. You know, I help patients all day. It's nice to help other doctors. So, uh, and there's some resources on my site also. But I think it's, a, it's an option that you need to know about. You know, if you're between jobs or, you know, you've had enough, but I'll throw in one more thing that I think locums is something that every physician should consider who is planning on leaving clinical medicine for a non-clinical job because they're burnt out. So don't become, you know, an insurance reviewer before considering locums if your passion is really clinical medicine. It is another way to enjoy and profit from clinical medicine without going to the dark side. Well, there's one more thing you need to plug, your podcast. As you know, we were talking about before the show, the Venn diagram of topics we cover on our podcast are almost completely, if not completely overlapping. If you like this podcast, you're going to like Dr. Wilner's podcast, Andrew Wilner's podcast. So what is it and where can we find you? So it's called The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner, and that's pretty easy to find. It's the only The Art of Medicine with Dr. Andrew Wilner <laughs> in your podcast. It's on all the podcast players. It's also on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it looks, you know, talking heads, but sometimes we have stuff to show. And uh, I interview people. I like to, I interview a lot of physicians who've written books, either novels or nonfiction books. I've interviewed two women who've written memoirs about their clinical experiences, you know, and their lives and work-life balance. I've interviewed rabbis who take care of people who are dying. I try and interview people that a lot of other people, except maybe Brad, don't interview, but who have really important and interesting stories to tell. So you're not getting people from like the publicists who are emailing you trying to get their people on your show who you know have been to every podcast that's similar to ours. If they have a book, I'll read the book. And if it's a good book, I'll have them on. It is a way to learn about, you know, people I wouldn't know about. Some nonprofits also will contact me. They want me to you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's hangnail week or something. And, you know, they've got some product <laughs> for hangnail. So they, you know, and it, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's very, uh, you know, I want to be a helper, you know, and uh, it's hard Always to be giving. Yeah. Be hard to overcome the noise. Right. I mean, there's so many people out there and podcasts and you're right. You get these emails, the ones, you know, the, there, there's a few I delete before I finish reading. Right. That's not uncommon, but some of them are quite, quite interesting. Yeah. They actually, some of my favorites myself have been from those solicitations. So I can't, I shouldn't be so reflexive to, to turn it away. Well, this has been great. Dr. Andrew Wilner, thank you so much for teaching us all about locums and uh, looking forward to listening more on your podcast. Right. And I think I'm going to have a very interesting guest, Dr. Bradley Block. <laughs> I'll be on soon. Coming up soon. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really like the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post 
or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.